What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondable, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we interview people who have been able to find that balance between their life, their career, their family, along with the pursuit of their passion, their dreams, or their hobbies. This week, we have Matt Berry of Classified Frequency, and this was a great conversation. I, I haven't seen Matt in a long time, and I was really happy to be able to sit down with him and go through pretty much his whole history um, back from when he was in college studying jazz all the way up to now where he's playing like five bands, which is all ridiculous. Um, one of them, Classified Frequency, just dropped, um, I believe, an EP. Yeah, I think it was an EP. Four songs, really, really good songs. Uh, we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about his approach to music, the way that he writes, and how he's able to kind of push the boundaries a little bit while still making it accessible for everyone. The record's a lot of fun and sounds really good, so please go check it out. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Thank you for everyone who has checked out the show so far, who has rated, reviewed, given me feedback, the whole nine in there. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, every little bit helps, so please continue to do so. The ratings and reviews on iTunes are the biggest way that I can get my name out there. So please help me out. Put a couple of those on there. Before I forget, this was recorded at 38 North Studio in Falls Church, Virginia. Thank you, Aaron Mason and team, for letting me go in there and record this. It was a great experience and always sounds good. Um, I've been really lucky to be able to have relationships with all these different people all over the DMV area that have been able to let me go in, use their spaces, help me record, um, you know, the, the whole nine, made it a great experience all throughout. So thank you to 38 North Studios and Aaron Mason. Thank you to Instrumental Records and Brandon Nicholson, uh, Mike Bridget of the Monster House. Without you guys, this couldn't be possible. So thanks. Enjoy. I've seen you guys play a couple times, and I listened to that EP, and it, it's fantastic first, but it's, it's very much a traditional, like, pop rock record yeah and then you throw in some of the noodle shit and i'm just like this is matt this is the matt that i know i love <laughs> and it's just wonderful cool we're good everything sounds good yep. cool are we just banished now like this is our room and we have to go no, and... I don't want to, you know. <laughs> it's all it's all right thanks <laughs> But yeah, yeah, when I when I listened to that record, I was just like, all right, this is perfect. This is everything that I want to hear from Matt. And then as soon as I don't I think it was like the second track on there if I remember right. Maybe the first track, I don't remember. Um, but it was it was just this little jazz breakdown mm -hmm. in there and I was just like, this is all right. This is what I I knew you were capable of and I had no <laughs> idea you were going to write it inside yeah. the the actual song, that's, which was fantastic. That's always been kind of to me, that's what classified frequency is, which is I'm a pop guy. I'm a power pop guy. I like arena rock, melodic music. That's just what I do. But I'm a jazz guy, and, I'm, and I am very into har harmonic movement. I don't like songs. Well, not that I don't like songs. I get very bored when a song is like four chords repeated for four right. minutes. You know, like I just, I, I like... 
my thinking was always, you know, when I was in college, when I started writing these songs, it was like, why can't you write great pop songs that are also smart? Because that's what Michael Jackson did. Yeah. Because he had Quincy Jones behind him. Yeah. And what's funny is, is whenever like songwriters will go or producers will say like, no, it's, it's, it's too complicated. Simple sells. I just go, well, the greatest selling record of all time was not simple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and then even if you look at like all the Beatles stuff, yeah, pretty much all of it has There's some stuff in there. Yeah, There's and some then stuff. The White Album, especially, even though that's that's their hard rock album, more right, or less, right. right? It's still it's amazing, still and great. it's still the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, and it and that's my thing is always a good song is a good song if it's got four chords or if it's got forty chords. A good song will always take over. And that's always kind of been my thing. It's like, why, like, like that jazz solo in Black Eye was a great example because I remember writing the song. I liked the song. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't like the song that I wrote. But I just remember writing the chorus and, and the stuff, and I was just like, I didn't like how cliche it sounded. Right. I didn't like how how it was like. Okay, the chorus works. I like the song, but I just there's nothing going on that is very much what I do. Usually, my songs like the chorus has something about it that's different or mm-hmm. some sort of movement. But that song, that's what it needed. It was just it. it that was it. It, it was just that little breakup. Yeah, it was just simple and and but I liked it. But I remember going like, okay, and this is literally my thought. I said, well, if I'm going to write a song that's like this cliche, the bridge has to be fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's literally what I did. And I came up with this thing (laughs) and then brought it back into the chorus. And I went, yeah, that's what people are going to (laughs) remember. It's like, hey, this song's okay. I like it. What the hell was that? Well, that was Matt. <laughs> that was that was the producer coming out going, "I'm bored." That's you know? funny. <laughs> you know, but but that being said, I like the song. It's a good song. I don't I don't sit there and I you know try to make everything complicated. You mm-hmm. know, I I have simple songs. I have complicated songs, but I like I like writing a song that does everything that I think a pop audience, or really any audience, I don't really care about the genre, but will connect to. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be played on the radio. That's the, you know, that people will enjoy listening to because it sounds fun. It sounds like there's a lot going on and, and the, the melody hits you a certain way or whatever. But, you know, I, I like throwing in little 30 seconds of, you know, taking you away from that or taking your ear somewhere else like my thinking is always if i've got you hooked with the chorus i've got 30 seconds to do whatever the fuck i want and then come back to the chorus and you're still with me you know i like that so it's kind of like if i've got you hooked i'm gonna take you on a little bit of ride and then i'll bring you back (laughs) you know yeah yeah, I, i dig that at least you're conscious of it too. Like when you're when you're writing the song, you're not just thinking of the traditional verse, chorus, right. whatever, right? You're thinking about okay, what can I do to actually like challenge myself and then challenge them too, yeah. as far as the listener goes. And it can be, especially with all the music that I play, 
with cover bands and stuff like that, I've learned very, I've learned a lot about what I can get away with mm-hmm. before the audience starts realizing what I'm doing or, or not realizing what I'm doing, but like there's only so much they can take. Right. You know? And so like, I remember when I got out of college, you know, it was kind of a weird thing because I was in school for jazz and I was getting, I was playing all this really highbrow, you know, like music, right? Mm-hmm. And putting in all these crazy harmonic substitutions, which is what we do. And the audience would love it. Standing ovations and whatever. But I was in this bubble of right, people. Right, because you're, you're getting the listeners that listen for that. Exactly. Right. I was in this bubble of people who got it and respected it and loved it, which is awesome. When I got into the real world and started playing in cover bands and trying to make a living, and I love rock music, so I, I, I like doing, I like playing rock, I like playing country, I like playing all that stuff, and, but, I started doing some of that stuff, and you could tell you would get, I, I don't get it. What is that? That sounds weird, you know. So, instead of kind of giving up on that, what I did was I started listening to a lot of musicians who. I felt were the best at bridging the gap. Gotcha. Okay. Like there's, you know, like Michael Brecker, who's a, a used, um, sadly passed away from cancer, I think. But he, um, one of probably the most influential modern saxophonists. Like he was, you know, 70s and on type of thing. And these guys would make, like, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but the the idea was that this guy probably made a million dollars going on the road with like Paul Simon and people oh, wow. like that okay. like like massive pop artists were hiring these incredible jazz musicians mm-hmm. because they heard that these guys were the best and and I started listening to a lot of these guys because I realized like him like Steve Lukather from Toto is a great example mm-hmm. too um trying to think of like like musicians brad paisley is a great example brad paisley if you really try to like listen to some of the stuff he's doing mm-hmm. he's playing some of the most outside shit you will ever fucking hear but he's doing it for 20 seconds and the audience is just like woo, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know? Like, so i started listening to a lot of these guys who were just so good that they could play something that was really outside but phrase it and bring it back in a sort of way that the most, you know, the listener who isn't listening for that Mm -hmm. or would find it weird if it was, like, slowed down or played too much or something like that, they don't don't notice it. You know, they they just hear, it's good. That sounds great. That sounds, you know. Um, And so that's kind of where I, I started trying to do that. And I've gotten pretty good at it, you know. I actually, I actually, the uh, I was doing a gig with a friend of mine who I, I play with a lot, drummer I play with. We were doing a gig, and I was playing bass, and our guitarist was playing some some outside stuff, and and I remember him coming up to me and going, "Man, he's he's really playing some weird stuff." And I said. So I play a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, yeah, but when you play weird stuff, it sounds correct. And I was just like, <laughs> I've done it. Because this is a guy who doesn't know, you know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily understand what I'm doing. 
but to him it sounds right. Where when that guy does it, it doesn't sound right. You know, it and so it sounds overbearing. It yeah, sounds like yeah. It sounds like it it wasn't phrased correctly or, right, or right, you right. know. And so I'm very proud of that. That's great. <laughs> but yeah. it's but it's funny because like you can you know if you if you keep people going back to the if I've got you hooked, mm-hmm. I have this much time to kind of take you somewhere else and then bring you back. It's like you'd be amazed at like I'll be playing with. A country act, and like we were just joking about, like country music fans, they don't even pay attention to the musicians. <laughs> they really don't. Like I don't want to sound cynical, but it's amazing. Like, right, right. <laughs> it's like I, I could, you know, I could play the greatest solo ever, and they're just like, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, get back to the singer. <laughs> you know? it's like, all right, all right, I get it. But um, but it's amazing, like what I can, like I will. If I get people hooked on what I'm doing at like mm-hmm. a, a Delta Spur show, which is one of the cover bands I play with, or Devin Nichols, who's one of the original singers mm-hmm. that I work with, if I can get you hooked on what I'm doing, there are certain things I'll just throw out there and just go, let's see what happens if I do this. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times, if I've got them hooked, they're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing, you know? <laughs> And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I've, I've figured this out. I've, I've yeah. you know, not to sound arrogant or anything, but it's just kind of like, okay, I know what I can get away with and what I can't get away with. Right. And to me, it's fun because as an artist, it's, it's, you know, realizing how to make sure your audience is happy and they're having a great time. But also, I'm still being artistic. I'm still... Right. I'm still throwing in some of the maybe crazier stuff that I like that, you know, if I start playing Coltrane's Giant Steps, they're not going <laughs> to, they're going to, what the hell is this? <laughs> so you're able to balance between satisfying them and satisfying exactly, you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's true with, with a lot of the music that's out there, even like the, the hardcore heavy metal stuff, mm-hmm. where it's a lot of it's chug, 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 breakdown, breakdown. But if you look at it, you know, they're they're doing what kind of the norm is. And then the really good ones are able to bring in different types of leads, different types of vocals, different types of, of drumming in there to right. really bring everything together. And there's always the way you spin it, right? It's like, how do I put my fingerprint on this where people notice me over, say, everybody else, right? right. And... And I think, yeah, there's definitely a side, especially with most music nowadays, where there's a side where, you know, we've all known, like, you know, nostalgia is back with a vengeance in the past, like, ten years, right? Everything's nostalgic. Every, you know, they don't come out with new movies. They just keep redoing old ones, you know? Yep. Yep. So, So there's a side, too, where it's like, you know, you you give them what they're they're you're giving them something that they're used to but just changing enough to kind of put your own spin on it you know type of thing so that you you know yeah you want to play something that's familiar right that they feel safe with right and then be able to build upon that right right and and, you know that of course doesn't sound like the most artistic thing in the world but you know there's nothing wrong with it yeah, I just um, actually I just saw this video of this girl that did 
uh, Amazing Grace on The Voice. Mm-hmm. This, I think she was maybe like 16 or something. And it was just this sultry, very soulful way of doing it. And she combined it with um, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, wow. So she had that that backing uh, track and that atmosphere of it. Mm-hmm. And it was, for me, it was amazing. And I saw some of the backlash of it. It was like, why sh- why is anybody allowing her to do that song in that way? Right? It's it's, <laughs> And I'm just looking at it and, and thinking, and I was like, well, she first she innovated. Second, it sounds amazing. It matches her voice. Mm-hmm. And third, the, the content with it is still perfect. Like, the, the atmosphere that she's building musically fits the song if you listen to the song. Right, right. And just the way that they built it was just fantastic. Right. And not to mention, you know, like, why would you let her do it? Well, she's an artist. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't it was, have to listen to you on right, Facebook. It, <laughs> it was crazy because it was it was like all all this Twitter backlash, like all the of course, right? Of course, everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, and then um, I think I wish I could remember her name, but I think her coach on that show was Kelly Clarkson, mm-hmm. and she just embraced it fully. Right, and I thought that was fantastic. Where you have a pop star that you look up to, especially if you're 16. Right. And looking into someone that literally made it from the ground up. Like, she was discovered on one of the other TV shows, right? Yeah. And now she's like, yes, that's a fantastic idea. Run with it. What do you need? What support do you need mm-hmm. from me? And, and just go for it. Right. So that, that was really, really cool. Yeah. And that, that familiar, familiar, maybe I can talk, familiarity <laughs> with it, right? So that, that safety piece of it mm-hmm. where they're just like, I know this song. Oh my God! What is happening? Why right. is the song different? Why is it changing? Why isn't it the the classic stuff? Yeah. Well, it's like the um, the great example is you know we were I was just talking to Jim, my producer, mm-hmm. he was just here, and we were we were cracking up because we were talking about how the big thing now is seems to be taking a well known happy song and then making it sound really fucked up and dark. Yeah, <laughs> putting a major, yeah. right, and, and vice versa, right? So putting a major song into minor key and the minor into major. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, with movies it works really well, or with commercials, because it's something that you're familiar with. You know this song, but you're like, oh, this is, this is different. <laughs> What's going on here, you know? But yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, what, what people, you know, will gravitate to and what right. they don't gravitate to and but you know it's all subjective anyways right. you're gonna love it you're gonna hate it it's <laughs> just how it's gonna be you know? right so circling back to that idea of where you realize that you can push the envelope to a certain extent mm-hmm. was it the cover bands that helped you with that or how did how did you find that balance um i think it was i think it was like very well-rounded actually i think there was a side where when I write music, I wanted to, like I said, put my fingerprint on something, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I, like, I come from, this is going to sound a little nerdy, but, so, classical music and classical harmony, like Beatles harmony and stuff mm-hmm. like that, very much follows the circle of fifths. And then jazz music actually goes backwards. It's the circle of fourths. It reverses it. So if you don't know what that means, it doesn't matter. It's just it's just a it's just a way that we look at harmony and how it moves. But um, but there was a side to me where, 
most pop rock music follows that Beatles thing. Mm-hmm. And I came from the reverse. I came from the opposite world. Right. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, first, I like writing songs that have more like of those types of progressions. There are things that m- most people won't notice them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to hear my songs and th- go, it sounds like a pop song. It's not necessarily a change, but it's it's a little different. It's slightly, you know, um, just different harmonic ideas, even though they sound very similar. So there was a side with that and with my music that was like, okay, I really want to find a way to make really great pop songs that have more a little denser harmonic ideas mm-hmm. and jazz fusion ideas and stuff like that which i ne- i don't think anybody's ever really done in a power pop sense usually it's like progressive rock and then you know like right. nobody's writing pop songs trying to bring that into it you know right um i could be wrong there's probably a million people doing it i just haven't heard that, <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, it, it also might be more digital Right, stuff, right? You know. it, it might it might just be more of that where they're they're mixing up and, and putting different layers into it. Where right, you know, we're we're focused on that traditional kind mm-hmm. of setup, right? Yeah, and so there was that side, which was like what I was trying to create, and then as a musician, it was more, you know, you always just want to sound good, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you you're always working towards being better at certain things. So um, for me, it was like, you know, I was practicing all those, um, you know, Brad Paisley stuff and, and Steve Lukather and Michael Brecker stuff that was, you know, that style of playing that I just liked that style of playing. So I was just learning, I was just doing that and then using the cover bands as a great kind of way of adapting it because, you know, I can do a classified frequency show, you know, if it's an original audience, people there to see original music, mm-hmm. they may be a little bit more inclined to kind of go along with it because mm-hmm. it's original. You know what I mean? Where if you're there to see a cover band, you want to hear you want to hear songs right. that you, you already know, right? Yeah. So with the cover band stuff, it was great because it was a it was a nice like kind of seeing how things worked in the in that side. If I got that working there, then so it was kind of like my ideas here with how Mm -hmm. I play here and then trying to kind of see what works and doesn't work with the cover audience, you know? So yeah, (laughs) you know, all, all over the place. And and that's just kind of where I come from too. You know, I, I like, I I like harmony. I like substituting stuff over other things. That's, you know, just how a lot of jazz musicians look at stuff. It's like, we look at the chords and we look at, what we're supposed to play and then we kind of go oh what if i do this and then i play this and what does that sound like right you know and and does it work does it not work if it doesn't work how can i make it work <laughs> you <Right>. know <laughs> so I, I started playing guitar this last year and the only thing that i've been able to figure out is kind of how like the basic chords work mm-hmm. right mostly because i i don't want to learn but I do want to play, which is so dumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I've I've been I've been just playing around with it, trying to figure out like different like how my fingers feel mm-hmm. on there and how the sounds work. And I know that some sounds are not good. Right. They're, they're just not good. Like yeah. I understand that. And then other sounds are just like this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
and trying to train my fingers on how to actually use that and transition from right. one to another has been a difficult, but b like that's that's the most rewarding part about it is finding something that I've never really heard anybody play before either. Mm-hmm. So the coolest thing for me was um, showing my friend Selena some of these chords that I just kind of figured out. And she was like, I've never heard that before. But then she goes ahead and makes it way better than everything else. <laughs> and I was just like, first, you made me feel bad about myself. So thank you. But second, like you just made something incredible. And I, I kind of contributed to it. Right. So I was like, this is, this is cool. Yeah. This is all right. And it's amazing how like a little, just writing music, like just a change. Uh, one of my favorite things I always used, I, I teach a little bit and and I, I always had students that would go, I feel like I'm just playing the same thing over and over and over. And, and my joke would always be, well, that's every musician. We're all playing the same 12 notes. <laughs> <laughs> We're all playing it over and over and over. Um, but it's amazing. One thing I would tell them is that just stop doing that. And they'd be like, well, how do you do this? Said, well, obviously, it's easier said than done. But right. look at what you're playing. Like, let's say you're playing you know, like you're soloing over something. You're using mm-hmm. a pentatonic scale, soloing over this thing. Find a, a lick that you do all the time and then just change one note. Just decide, you know what, instead of going up at this one spot, I'm going to go down, you know, at this one spot. And you'd be amazed at how just a tiny little change like that can completely open up more ideas. Yeah, because then you change you change <laughs> right. your muscle. You change memory at a that little point. thing. Yeah. Right. It's the same with like you know, working out. You know, like you if you, if you're doing you know, people love to get into this mode of of I need to know a million exercises. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then they realize like some of the biggest most successful like bodybuilders, powerlifters, you know, these strong you know really big guys. All they did was they did the same exercise. They just changed the angle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they changed where they put their hands or something like that. Like tiny little differences can completely, you know, change everything and and, and just open things up and change how you your attitude with certain things and or just all of a sudden you you know, it's like the, the what is it, the R. E. M. song where they I forget the song, but they had a um like the guy was playing a chord and was kind of stuck, and then he fell off a stool, and while he fell off the stool, his arm slid up, and he went, well, that sounds cool, and then they wrote a song. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so it's it's amazing what, like, a little, you know... Happy <laughs> accidents, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing what happens when you just, like, something comes out, and, and you're just like, whoa, what was that? You know, and then it completely changes. That's All of a sudden, you know, you're just a different... And, like, for me, it's amazing, like, when I play with the country bands. Like, mm-hmm. I, I grew up liking country guitar. I always loved country guitar because, to me, it was, like, this awesome fusion of rock and jazz. Because country guitar players are usually a little harmonically more interesting. Mm-hmm. But yet they're flashy, which mm-hmm. is what I like. You know, I like them playing really fast and doing cool things. And... um so I always liked that, but I never really paid much attention to the actual music that was on the radio and stuff like that until I started playing in these bands. And, but once I dove into that music, I mean, I, 
I think if if people heard me playing with rock like cover bands just four years ago, mm-hmm. they would hear me now and go, he plays completely different. Do I? No. There's still a lot of stuff that I do that's similar. But it's amazing how just switching up little things or diving into a style of music that you're not used to or something like that completely changes everything. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It was it was one of the things that I, I loved about punk and what I gravitated towards with punk is I I started listening to like the first wave, so seventy seven, seventy eight mm-hmm. punk where it was very much still rhythm and blues, rock and roll, and then they threw in different solos. So right. my mom introduced me to country. My stepdad at the time was a big eighties metalhead thrash metal speed like all that stuff in there so i'm just like what combines those two it's punk rock does right. it yeah. and that, that was the main thing for me and it's just it it all splintered off from there because now i just listen to nonsense uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> but yeah it's that that being able to kind of bridge between the two genres or multiple genres and then figure out what what catches your ear is is being able to is mm-hmm. nice. Um, That's kind of how I feel about Cheap Trick. Cheap yeah. Trick is my one of my favorite bands of all time, and you know they're called the original power pop band, um, which is interesting. Power pop been around. Uh, Badfinger I think is like the original power pop kind of thing. Okay. They, they kind of took the Beatles, Bubblegum, and put more aggressive guitars with it. That's right. bad finger. <laughs> That's basically what we all came from. But what Cheap Trick did that I think they don't, I think is the reason why they're known as the original power pop band is because they were the first ones to make pop everywhere. So instead of, like, if you listen to their first record, all of their songs are melodic. They're hooky. Mm-hmm. They're that bubblegummy stuff that we all love to listen to or or you know, love to say, tell people that we don't listen to. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, but what's the feel good stuff that is very divisive. Right. Right. Exactly. And, but the thing that they did was that they brought that into every genre. They had, they were, they had the original punk pop. Mm-hmm. They had the original, um, metal pop, you know, like you, you talk about, you know, Slipknot and then you hear some of the choruses you know, you can right. bring that all the way back to right. Cheap Trick. You know, and then they had I Want You to Want Me, country, <laughs> very much country. And then, um, well, the original uh, right. recording anyways, which most people hate. But the original <laughs> the original recording, if you listen to it, is not Budokan. The original album version is country. And um, even has a piano solo. And uh, But they did that. They They were able to, they put pop hooks in everything and and i think that's amazing now the problem with that of course in that classified frequency has this problem too is that a lot of people don't um i I think a lot of people aren't that centered okay so what what happens a lot of times with you know i call it the cheap trick conundrum which is, I think, CF kind of has a little bit of this issue too, which is, if I say that it's pop, the rock people won't listen to us. But if I say that it's rock, the pop, pop people, people won't listen right. to us. You know, and it's, and Cheap Trick had that problem. They always, 
you know, nobody knew what to do with them. They were like, well, they're not really, they're not like, you're not, they're, they're not that heavy, but they're not, but they're too heavy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's, it's tough when, when you can't pigeonhole or categorize something and, and put it in a box to where you can easily right. market yeah. it. It's very, very hard to find your, where you fit. So are you the next Beatles? Are you uh, a pop act? Are you Michael Jackson? Right. What, whatever you are, or are you uh, Dream Theater? Or are you, yeah. like, you, have to find, you have to find it. And when you bridge the gap between so many different things, like where, where do you fit? Right. And then that's where I think most of the music out now a lot of it's more conscious of that and they're blending so many different genres out that we don't know what it's going to be. And then that's where all the subsets of genres come in where it's post-punk, it's rap rock, it's (laughs) what, whatever you want it to be. Right. So if you don't have a label though, it's so hard to be able to describe what you do. Like, well, just come see us. Well, we, we don't want to see you if we don't know what you are. Right. And that was, and that was Cheap Tricks' biggest problem. They were there. They did three records. That well, they I guess they did Heaven Tonight came out after Budokan technically. So I don't <laughs> I don't know that whole thing. But so but they basically did three records that all three of them sound completely different from each other. They were always known as, from what I understand as a producer and talking to other producers, mm-hmm. is they were a producer's band. They were literally like every one of their records sounds completely different, which to a lot of people is cool. To a lot of other people is not so cool because it was like it never sounded like them. It always right. sounded like this producer's idea of what they should sound like. And then, of course, Budokan became massive. And the reason it did so well was it was the only record they did that it sounded like them because it was them live. and they find and then finally they found their kind of niche and people went this is amazing this is awesome you know and and so yeah they've always had you know that issue which was like even producers didn't know what to do with them the labels didn't even know what to do with them it was like they're they're just all the way in between um and you would think it's gotten easier it's gotten better but sometimes you never know like i i still I look at, you know, Nirvana, right? Mm-hmm. Nirvana, Kurt Cobain even said in interviews that they were just the 90s version of Cheap Trick. But that being said, a lot of people who listen to Nirvana probably don't hear the hear the, the connection. Right. You know? Because <laughs> they know? just hear the crunchiness and, yeah, the, they and hear the angst the, and whatever, right? What it was, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Nirvana. But it's funny how, like, so many bands were so influenced by this band, and that band just never quite like, on. you know. Well, they did. I mean, they were definitely probably one of the biggest bands from like the late seventies, early eighties. They were. There was definitely a moment in time where they were like the biggest thing. But, you know, it was always kind of, you know, the records never really sounded like them. It always, you know, they people just didn't know what to do with them. Um, nowadays I think it's, it's a little easier just because I think, like you said, people are cross Mm -hmm. genres all the time and everything kind of sounds similar. Like we were joking about the country thing, right? It's like, it's like, you know, everybody got pissed off 
that Lit made a country record. And I'm like, it sounds like Lit. It's just all the country guys sound like Lit 20 years ago. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> nothing's changed. <laughs> that know? might be my favorite quote. Right. Like, that, I, like now I, I want to listen to more of the, the more modern country and be like, yep, he's exactly right. right. That's, that's all it is. Well, yeah. I remember, like, funny enough, 20 years ago when I was in – when I was in high school, oh god! Um, <laughs> yeah, try not to age yourself too oh, much. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but twenty years ago, I remember when I was in high school, we had um, the there was Shania Twain, Faith Hill, the Dixie Chicks. Um, you know, I remember because my mom listened to a lot of that country stuff on the radio. Yeah. And so I heard a lot of this stuff. And that was 20 years ago. And what was funny about that was that all sounded like 80s music. Yeah, yeah. And so, and a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? And then I find out that, you know, oh, right, Shania Twain was produced by Mutt Lang, <laughs> who produced, it's you all know, the same Def Leppard. Yeah, you know, it's right. all the same producers. <laughs> it's all the same. I think people forget because it's a different brand. Yeah, uh, it's the diff- the genre. Yeah, genre yeah, specific, yeah, right? yeah. It's a different brand, but it's the same people that have been amazing making music. Yeah, with them. So there's, like, there there was an article out a couple years ago where this one Swedish producer has written like ninety percent of pop songs oh, or right, some the, nonsense. What's his name? Uh, yeah, he did all the Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny. Max Martin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's something that people don't think about because they're just like oh well all i see in front of me is this pop star right all that's that's who is making this music right that's all this this is right. like when i go to the arena to watch that's who them I'm seeing, right <laughs> that's that's who's writing everything right and no there's a whole team there's a whole producing yeah. squad it's, for it's it it's amazing to me about like especially in, i i again i i don't want to sound cynical in in any way because i'm not but i i have i've seen it and so for me it's kind of like it can get a little upsetting when you're when you're sitting there and you see this name mm-hmm. you know and and you're like there are thousands upon thousands of people there to see this name and he might be a good singer might not be a good singer. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know what I mean? But but what what cracks me up is that, you know, and, and not to say that the audience may not just give a shit, which is fine. You know, they just like right. their song and they like the music that they listen to. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to have a civics lesson or anything, but it's <laughs> like, but it's funny to me that you'll see this name and then you come to find out that he didn't write any of the songs. He didn't play any instrument. He didn't do anything. He literally, a producer, like a, a team of songwriters wrote a bunch of songs. The producer took it, hired his guys. They recorded this incredible record. That guy came in, sang on it, left, and then a record label <laughs> yeah. turns it into, you know, the biggest massive set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they get it on the radio, they get it, they do the video, they do the whole thing. And you sit there and you just kind of go, well, that's 
that's unfair. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, why is this guy getting all the uh, all the the respect? Right. He didn't do right. a damn thing. You know? Yeah, and I think I think that's also um, we talked about. I'm trying to remember what episode that was. It might have been. Uh, I think it was Ben's episode, uh, Ben Tuff's episode, where who I know and love. Perfect. <laughs> uh, he's he's a madman just like you, and we'll we'll get into that here in a second. Um, <laughs> but we talked about how his dad showed him the liner notes of the albums, which you don't see yeah. at all anymore. So you don't see the people that worked on everything. You don't understand that it's a whole team behind a lot of this stuff, or who's the actual like musical energy and, and right. the process that and that I I think I posted on Facebook a little bit ago when the EP came out where the first thing I did if you go on my website mm-hmm. and you go to the records I have all the liner notes because to me I, I don't like that I like I like I don't want people to see it and just go oh Matt made a great record right no I I I did a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I've got these amazing, amazing people, you know, who I, who I'm friends with, who I love, who I hired and are passionate about my project. Right. You know, that, you know, like, you know, I can't, you know, when somebody listens to my, you know, record or they hear like no more sex or something and they see the video for it and they go, man, that like, that record sounds so amazing and like and they just super like really nice you know about it and yeah it's cool i I'm, i totally want people <laughs> to feel that way but there's a side where it's like i wrote the song and i like pre-produced it like mm-hmm. i basically i demo it and i get it all exactly how i want it you know but then I give it to my producer and our engineer. And the reason it's, it took, takes on another form is because of those guys. And then from there, then you have this um, uh, product that, you know, is like a, you know, it's like a design that needs to be finished you know what i mean right <laughs> you know right. it's it's there it's like the first coat of paint is on you know <laughs> type of thing and it's like we're on to something this is good <laughs> this is cool and then we send it to my mixing engineer who basically makes it sound like it's the greatest thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> like he's amazing um so actually i should probably say names so my producer <laughs> is jim ebert who's amazing my engineer is sean russell and then Jim worked on, um, he did a bunch of stuff with Butch Walker. So okay. I'm a huge Butch Walker fan. So he, he, we actually have a joke, which is like, anytime he wants me to do something that I'm not quite sure of, he'll kind of go, you know, Butch would do it. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, fuck, all right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> That's funny. so, you know, but I have his, so I go in with my, so I send him the demo. I go in knowing exactly what I want and what I what I'm going to do. And so that's the first side of it. Sean makes a sound a million times better because he's an engineer. <laughs> he's like it needs to sound like this. Right. And then Jim 
from there, he kind of he kind of sees the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit more and kind of goes, okay, we can add this, we can do this. And he he starts kind of playing around a little bit more. He'll like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's put a break there. All right. You know, <laughs> like he'll, he'll kind of start doing stuff like how that. Do you, how do you find that person that fits for you? Because this that's, that... that's a, a really great question because I, you know, I try not to be preachy, but like, I've heard a million, well, I won't say a million, but I've heard a num- number of friends and acquaintances who mm-hmm. they follow a name or they follow who somebody recommends for them or something like that, which sometimes can be great. But what ends up happening is is you have to find people who are passionate about you. Right. And because I've seen it a million times, I know people who, you know, record Nashville with these Nashville songwriters and these Nashville producers and they worked with Keith Urban or some big name or whatever and then they give them their life savings to do their record and their record sounds like dog shit and it's like yeah it's because that guy didn't obviously give a shit about you he just took your money because he needed rent right that's his business right exactly and so you know I um, luckily Amazingly enough, and, and I really do, I'm very lucky, is I was doing, I did my first EP, uh, the Heart Attack EP. I did that on my own. Okay. I did that in my basement. And I, one of my favorite bands of all time is a band called The Stereo. And they were on a on a um, label called Fueled by Ramen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so pretty much like you can hear... Paramore, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. You can hear all those bands. They were taken off of the, what the stereo did. The stereo just never got going because they were like one of Fueled by Ramen's infancy bands. Fueled by Ramen right, they, just they happened. Mu- yeah, I was about right. to say, they must have been one of the first ones, yeah. right? And so, of course, you know, we all know like Fall Out Boy. And yeah. now Fueled by Ramen has headquarters in New York City. You know, <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane how much that record label has grown. Where when I was growing up, they weren't a thing. They were they were what like all my friends wanted to be on. Right. But not but because they weren't huge. Yeah, not yeah. because they were huge. Not because that was like the end all be all. But because it was accessible. Yeah. It was bands that they were had, their contemporaries. Right, and they had great bands. Yeah. They just yeah. they really had like Jimmy World did an EP with them. Yep. You know, I mean, so the stereo was like. You know they were a, they were a part of that, and they were in the infancy of that. So they just didn't. They just never caught on. It was just one of those bands. You know, it just didn't happen for them. Mm-hmm. But they did three records, and Jamie Wolford is basically the songwriter producer. He did everything. Mm-hmm. And when they broke up, I just kept tabs on them because I was like. Everything he does sounds amazing. <laughs> like I just, I just loved everything he did in terms of production and, and everything, and and so I kept tabs on him. And he lived in Temp, um, I think he still lives there, Tempe, Arizona. Okay. And I think for a good, I would say five, maybe ten years, like he probably produced every indie band in Tempe, Arizona. Like he was the guy that, like, if you're in Arizona. You go to that guy. <laughs> He's the best, right? And so I kept tabs on him. I always heard records that he was working on, and they always sounded amazing. So 
when I did my EP, I was just like, I just want to record something that's good enough that he would want to mix it. That was literally my whole thing. And so, uh, that's sweet. That's yeah. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sent it to him, and he liked it. And he mixed it, and I went, "Holy shit, that's you know? amazing!" <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and now we're you know good friends, and and I love that guy. He always answers all my stupid questions like, <laughs> about gear because he's like a genius with all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm like an 80 year old with like a cell phone. Like I, I'm still the guy who's like, you know, like th- this is a true thing. I love keyboards. I love synthesizers and soundscapes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I just never do them because I get bored and I get frustrated really quickly. So I go, I can't get the sound I'm looking for. Fine, I'll just do it on the damn guitar. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm looking at my phone and just going, how come the camera doesn't work? You know, <laughs> I'm that guy. So, so I, luckily enough, you know, I loved what he did, and he was accessible to me. You know, I was able to do a right. record with him. And from there, I was going to do another record, and then I don't know what happened. I don't know if my, like, confidence just got shot or, um, you know, stuff wasn't happening fast enough or I don't know. But I just I realized at one point that I think I need to work with a producer because this is just too much for me to deal with right now. I just sometimes, as just the way that I am sometimes I just want to play and not have to worry about all the other shit right you know what I mean (laughs) I just want to play and so so I was like oh you know maybe it's time to try to find a producer I did a battle of the bands at uh, Jam and Java Um, not the one we won (laughs) we did win one this was not that one Um, but uh but we did a battle of the bands. This this was when the the band was very different. It was a three piece. I was mm-hmm. uh, my bass player and drummer are no longer in the band, <laughs> you know. So it's a very different di- different band. And um, but Jim Ebert was one of the judges, and I'll never forget. He came, <laughs> he said to my bass player, he was just like, "Yeah, you guys remind me a lot of this band I used to produce called the Marvelous Three. And we both went, oh, shit, somebody noticed. Because <laughs> that was pretty much who we were trying to be. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. And so, That's so funny. but amazingly enough, my drummer now, Andy Hamburger, works with Jim all the time. He, Jim is like, Jim has his main session musicians, and Andy's one of them. And so, and I've known Andy forever. And... He would always tell me stories about Jim, and, you know, it was just like we all are. We Mm -hmm. know a bunch of people who we may not actually know, (laughs) you know. It's just you just know about everybody. And uh, But amazingly enough, Jim liked us, even though we didn't win. (laughs) He saw something in us, and and I remember him actually emailing me after that battle. It was like, hey, I got your email from so-and-so. If you ever want to do something, I'd love to work with you. I think you guys are great. That's fantastic. So I I had this song called um, Have a Nice Day that I had just written, and I really liked, and I was just like, I want to do this now. Like, I don't want to, you know, I'll, I'll do the demo. And and so I sent it to him. I sent him the demo. He really liked the song, and he was like, let's get together and chat, you know, and just kind of feel each other out and whatever. And so that sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Um. <laughs> but it is it is refreshing, I think for me, kind of knowing how that process works. Mm-hmm. 
to have someone that is interested in you, right? your music, and your feedback on it. Because I don't think everybody gets that chance right. to really have that open, honest conversation. And this, obviously, it's not just music. It's your career. It's that mentor, that, mm-hmm. that part that's in there where you look at it and be like, if only someone was kind of invested in me, right. I could be even greater than what I am. Right. And those don't come around often. Yes. And in, in Jim is, that's something most people know about him. And, and that's like everybody always says, always work with Jim because Jim will actually put time into you. Where so many producers, you know, no offense to a lot of producers, but it's like some just aren't like that. And and we're and I understand it too because right. as a musician, well, as an artist, I think I don't work with a lot of original artists. And, right. And the reason being is that if I'm not into it, it's a waste of time for me, and it's a waste of time for you. <laughs> you know, so so to have so I get it. If I'm not passionate about something, yeah, you're not going to get 100 percent from me. Which is not fair, but that's just what happens. You know, you just, yeah. that, that's how we are as creative people. You right, know? some people are there just to collect a paycheck. Right, exactly. And that's, that's with every, that's with every yeah. job, I feel like. Yeah. And, with, and Jim has never felt that way. But, you know, he obviously, the other side of it too is he invested himself into it, especially to a person who's not famous, Right. I'm not, I don't, nobody knows who the fuck I am, you know, like, you know, on a, on a grand scale, you know, I might, I know a lot of musicians in town, but it's about it, you know, and, and so that's the other side, right, is once you start getting some success, all of a sudden the vultures are out, you know, we didn't have that, he was, he just heard somebody that he liked my songs, and he, he wanted to work with me, and, but it was funny, we, we ended up getting together, and chatting, and we literally talked for maybe an hour about how much we love Cheap Trick. <laughs> and, and I was like, it's my guy. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and then we did, but there's also learning curves to it mm-hmm. as well. Like, we did Have a Nice Day. So the second EP I released was an EP called Reach Out, and it has three songs on it. It only has three songs. And we've actually recorded a bunch of songs together. And there will be a full length at some point. I've right. been doing this full length record for probably ten years. <laughs> it's just I, I'm I I'm ADD, so I just kind of like <laughs> it's like oh this record's coming this record's coming along really good. Ooh, what's that? Right, because <laughs> you also you also stretch yourself. I would say fairly thin going through different original bands and different cover bands yeah. and then just everything else and, that you're doing. And sadly, it's it's. I'm not as busy as people think I am, you know, sadly, <laughs> you know, oh man, this year has not been the greatest <laughs> year. Actually, it was funny, not to get too off topic, but last year I had like two cover bands that paid me a lot of money. Like I did really well last year. And then this year, both of those bands just, I don't know, got lazy or just stopped. Things changed and it mm-hmm. just didn't happen. And I've literally been like scraping by with, with sub gigs and... Um, this girl, Devin, Devin Nichols. Yeah. And she's amazing. I love her. She's one of my favorite people on the planet. Best singer I've ever worked with. But she's paying me for all these gigs. She's like paying my income. And she's doing all these gigs for free. 
she's not getting paid for them, and she's like, you know, no shit doing the graveyard shift cleaning toilets every night in wow. like Westminster. That girl is the most, you know, driven person I've ever met. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. She's incredible. But I only I only bring that up because it's kind of like, I find it kind of unfair to her. <laughs> right, Because I'm right. like, you're basically paying my shitty income that's like, that everything fell apart last year from, you know, last year I had all these gigs, and then everything kind of failed. And then mm. I have you... And you shouldn't have to take up that you whole know. burden. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Not that she feels that way, but it, right. you know, but um, but that's how I feel in certain ways, you know. And um, but I'm doing okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying <laughs> well, to be like, you... oh, with me. But there's a side. What I was trying to get to was was when you say stretching myself thin. It's like the sad part is that it never fails. Every time you think you're you're coasting the you know something drops yeah and then all of a sudden you have to join three more bands <laughs> and then you get to a point where you're coasting again i have time to work on my record then everything drops. And then, uh, yeah and then the whole thing just drops out <laughs> and then you're like shit <laughs> so for for you you're only you're making music or making money just off your music for mm-hmm. the most part right yeah which i think is impressive to begin with and i i think that that conversation of, of that traditional conversation, like, oh, you just play music? Yeah, I play music. Like, that's that's my whole thing. Yeah. I think is amazing. And do you do you ever look at it, though, and say, well, the bottom fell out again. I guess I should go get a job. All the time. All the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, I will say that after, I'm 34, so after I've been playing, I graduated college when I was 21, so 12 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not good at math. <laughs> I play music. I count to four, <laughs> maybe to seven on weird occasions. <laughs> That's about it. Um, so, but the the nice thing is I will always say the, the optimistic thing mm-hmm. is that when you've been playing for so long, you just have the experience of seeing time go by. And you notice... You know, it's like the economy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like people freak out over the economy. The people who are freaking out over the economy are our age. Right. You know, my dad isn't freaking out about the economy because he's seen the economy fuck up every... He's seen it fuck up every 10 yeah. years, basically. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we'll come back, it'll be fine. <laughs> you know? Right. So I do have that experience level of kind of, when things get bad, it's always like, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. We'll all we'll be fine, you know. Um, I will say that it's getting a little scary. Okay. Um, I've noticed myself. I've noticed a lot of colleagues of mine on Facebook and people that I, I hang out with and talk to. That people who have been playing longer than I have talk. 20 30 years are having problems so that's something you know we'll see how long we can do you, <laughs> you think know, it's, do you think it's a lack of innovation or a lack of embracing what's new at all i don't you know to be honest i'm not sure i know that for the past 20 years the record labels the the have been going downhill 
Right. So, which essentially is a good thing because the record labels were always these like powerful like masters of the universe, and now with the internet, you can, you know, become a, a huge hit without anybody's help. Right. It's a little bit more yeah. level playing field. Um, that being said, though, there's no, you know, in the late '80s, what did you do to become a star? You went to L.A. You got on the circuit. You got a record deal. You know, it, of course, it's not that easy, but that was that was the the path, yeah. right? Now there's no path, so that's kind of interesting. You know, like nobody really knows what to do. Like, you know, it's like, okay, where do I go next? Where how do I do this? Um, that's interesting. I think as a for the cover thing, though, the thing that's kind of I've noticed is that we're getting paid the same amount of money that we would get paid in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And and that's not me just, like, saying that. That's like, I read Sammy Hagar's autobiography, and he said that. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm serious. Like, like, in the 70s, if you were playing, let's say you had a gig, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, okay? which is a basic, you know, mm -hmm. musician's kind of schedule. If you got paid $100 for each gig, that's, what, like 1200 bucks a month, essentially? About, yeah. yeah. In the 70s, that was a lot of money. Yeah, that gets you to where you yeah. need to go. You, yeah. have a, you have a house and a family now, right? Yeah. We're making the same amount of money 40 years later. 50 years later, what, 40 years later, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. Whatever math is, you know? <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is, like, we can't, and then people will say, like, well, get a better job. I don't think it's that simple. You know, it's the same problem we have with, like, you know, the minimum wage, right? It's like minimum wage should at least, yeah, you don't have a mansion, but you have, you can live. Mm -hmm. You have a way to pay your bills and to have a place to live and, and things like that. We're ha we're making the same amount of money, and, and that's the, the value of the dollar has yeah dropped, and, and that's a big problem, especially in the and I've noticed it in the covers, and we've a lot of us have talked about it is that the reason the venues now you can say well the venues can't spend that much money, um, and I you know I think some. Part of that is debatable because uh, you know I see some of these venues like bars raking it in, <laughs> you yeah, know, and not yeah. paying us for the for the time. But you know that's that's a that's a story for well, another it's, day. Well, I think it's also the same mentality that they have with the minimum wage and with their payroll, right? Mm. So if you look at it, just the overall traditional business sense, they they want entertainment to bring in people, but they don't want to pay for the entertainment. Right, exactly. And that's that's kind of where they're they're at for everything. They want to have people come in to spend money, but they don't want to spend money themselves. Right. And so that that ends up happening. Um, there's definitely a side of that. I've seen it forever, um, which is always funny to me because I'm just like, you know, you have a you have a restaurant or a bar, you should try to get people in with your awesome restaurant and bar and we're entertainment for those people right you know because at the end of the day if you want me to bring people well i could throw a, i could 
if I had that many people who wanted to see me, well, then I would just throw a party at my house. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Or rent out my own hall. Right. Like, this is, this is my business at that point. Like, I, I'm doing everything. All you're doing is providing me a place to play. Right, exactly, which anybody could do, right? So, but, you know, that's that's a thing. And But one thing that we've definitely noticed, somebody brought up a couple weeks ago that I had never really quite thought of, but I think he has a point to it, which was a lot of younger bands will take the exposure. They'll take the shitty pay because they're getting started or they don't care. or Well, not that they don't care. I don't want to say it that way. But there's also the mentality, too, and and if you love music and you love to play music, play music. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But at the same time, the people who say, oh, I just play on the weekends for fun. I don't care how much money I get paid. You're hurting people like me <laughs> who need this income. Like, yeah. who do it for a living. And, the, and so this guy on Facebook, a friend of mine, posted. He basically said, I think that is becoming an issue, too. Because he was finding that a lot of venues, especially in Baltimore, were the bands weren't necessarily that good. They were all just really young, and they were taking the bottom-of-the-barrel pay. And they weren't going to get the more established or better experienced bands because we want more money. Well, no. We'll, we'll, just, get the, we'll just get those kids because they don't give a shit. Yeah, because the, <laughs> the places to play, I don't think, changes. Mm -hmm. But the amount of options those places have does. Right. And who gets what gig is just like contract bidding who right. can who can give us the lowest exactly. right exactly so like what your point was you know bring in the audience for the bar for the atmosphere for whatever right and then we're just there for the entertainment i mean that's probably their idea, the the place's right. idea too so they don't care who plays just <laughs> right. as long as they have someone that yeah. plays and i think that comes with age and comes with time mm -hmm that maturity level at least and being like, look, we, we need to be more conscious about how we're playing if we're serious or not. And if you're not serious, that's fine. It's, it's whatever. Like you want to play out, play out. But at the same time, you should be conscious of what's around you and what your impact is. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and that's like my, my first point was like, I'm not trying to tell people that it's your fault. or <laughs> Not at all. Like I get it. I was, 20 years old ones too and we right. all did that you know but there is something to be said about it in terms of like you know you're getting you're getting these gigs where you know you're not getting paid very much you might not care about that but these people do and you know you stole their you know not to say they stole their gig but like you kind of took their gig because the venue is going for the lowest bidder you know and it, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing it's it's you know like you, you don't want to you know get too into the politics of it obviously but it I've seen it I've seen it happen you know it definitely and you see venues where like I remember playing in a place in DC once and it was the worst place I've ever played <laughs> it was like it was terrible they didn't give us any money they lied to us they were yeah. just super grifters. And I remember, like, going on a rant on Facebook or something about, like, don't ever play there. I will never right. play there again. You know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. 
that place is still open. Do you know why? Because there's a bunch of stupid bands. Not, not to say stupid, but Immature. they don't they don't know yet. They yeah. haven't they haven't been there. So so this place basically makes their money off of off the backs of them. Yeah, yeah off the, the the bands who's going in for their first experience having that bad experience, but there's such a huge wave of that non-experience that they can still be in business for years and years and years and years to come because there will always be that wave right. of, you know, people that they can kind of take advantage of. Well, does that, so for you, where you balance your, your music a lot with original and covers, do you ever think about trying to really just focus on the original music and put I mean, obviously, it's a it's a need based, right? For mm-hmm. most of the covers, is that this is where a lot of my income comes from, right? Possibly, right? But do you also look at it where I need to innovate, to where I need to know more about social media? I need to know about how to get my name out there more. I need to be more digital savvy. What mm-hmm. what can I do to really like grow my own? Oh yeah, we um, yeah, I I'm very conscious of it. Um, I try all sorts of new things and, and promotion and, and um, talking to as many people as I can. Actually, Devin is a great, is awesome because she's she's going to be 23 next week. And so she's well, young. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, but it's fun because, like, you know, she's at that age where she knows way more about that shit than I do. Right. <laughs> and so I'm like watching her going, the hell is that? <laughs> you know, like, you know. <laughs> so we learn from each other. You know, I try to learn. She's actually awesome because she, she's also at that age too, where, you know, music to her is still in that finding you, th- finding yourself through music. Right. Phase. You know, there's that, that, what was it? There was an article that came out, that they found that people stop listening to new music when they're around 27. Uh yeah, and then you don't you don't um I think it's you don't really go out of your comfort zone from your high school days. Right. Past like 30 or 32. Right. It's, and I I read that article and I was like, "Well, it might be right cuz yeah. I've been listening to the same bands." It's true. And I think a lot of it comes from that's you find yourself through music. And then yeah. what ends up happening is like, well, that's what I like, and that's what I like. <laughs> you kind of build that bubble around you. And so I try to be open-minded, but I'm the same way. I, I put, you know, my favorite records from college and whatever uh, on. So hanging out with a 22-year-old, <laughs> she's like, buy this. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to all this, like, new music that's coming out, which is awesome. Um, but... But so I try to so to the original question. Yes, I I do try to pay attention. You know, like you don't want to. You're always going to move forward. It's it's really easy to get complacent and then to become like a crotchety old man in terms of like like <laughs> like bringing up Devin again. It's like you know we'll do a show and some like old lady will go. She's not country. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there and I'm just going like. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, but my favorite thing about it is it's always it's always that mentality that like just because the music of today passed you by or the technology of today passed you by doesn't mean it's not happening. 
you know, get on the train or shut the right. fuck up, you know, right. <laughs> you know, or just, you know, so. She wouldn't say the same thing about Taylor Swift, I'm sure, right? Like, <laughs> you know, hey, this, right? Is, yeah, this is, <laughs> what is she anymore? I don't understand. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she transcended what she was. Right, she exactly. Was. Yeah. So. And, um, but yeah, so there's, there's, um, but yeah, so I definitely like, I, I try to keep up with it. So I'm not very good at a lot of the. I'm I'm also very introverted, so it's it's a that can be difficult <laughs> when it's like you got to go talk to all these people, and I'm like I just want to like crawl into a corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it, it happened to me with this where you know I had recorded a bunch of episodes. And at one point, I was just like, well, uh, I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. <laughs> like, I want to just go home. I want to sleep. I don't I don't feel like talking to anybody. I don't I don't feel like doing anything. Yeah. I just want to go to bed. And it takes a lot of energy to break that out. Of me. Oh, yeah. It's like when I do classified frequency shows. Yeah. You know, I'm the lead singer. Right. So it's it's what's funny is I'll go home. And I'm exhausted. And the the joke I always tell people is that I'm not exhausted because of the show. I'm exhausted because I had to talk to 50 people. And it's not that I don't like talking to those people. It's just hard when that's not something you feel very confident in. And, you know, right. that's just how our brains are wired. You know, it's like I always joke with people. It's like I know this sounds really mean, but introverts are the type of people that if a friend of mine calls me on the phone, if I don't feel like being on the phone right now, I'll just let it ring. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's that I just don't feel like talking right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like we're like that. It's yeah. We're not being mean. It's just sometimes, you know, I get that way with uh, the holidays are always difficult because I, I live at home. So. Yeah. So, you know, musicians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, the great thing is, like, my parents are super awesome and, and supportive. And and the other thing, we have very opposite schedules. So there's moments right. where, like, th I have enough time by myself to, you know. And uh, But what's funny, the holidays are always interesting because whenever we have family come in, it's like I love having family come in. But then everybody wonders where I am parts of the day. And I'm literally in my room, like, taking a nap, which I never do. But it's just because I just don't want to be in the room with people right now. Like, it's yeah. just one of the, yeah. you know, you get the, you know, and, and people don't understand, too. It's like you get, like, if I'm in a situation, I can be on stage all night long in front of thousands of people singing and whatever. That, for whatever reason, is fine with me. Like, I'm totally fine with that. But right when you put me in that crowd, I get itchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, is it – so do you feel more comfortable with yourself? Because I've seen you in multiple roles in bands, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen you as a bassist. I've seen you as a front man. I've seen you just rip the darkness out of nowhere, <laughs> and it was just amazing. Um, and then – you you have the the guitar with with Devin, right? So mm -hmm. do you feel more comfortable in either role, or do you feel yourself a little bit better in in some parts? How does that work it's, for you? It's gotten better, um, 
I think there's a side too where I, I always tell people you don't know who you are until you're 30. You know, it's like I always tell it, don't get a tattoo until you're 30. <laughs> so, uh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have three tattoos now, and I got them in the past. Well, I have one that I got to figure out what I'm gonna do with, and I got that about six years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm 31, so 25, 26, so whatever, right? And then I got two of them, and my mentality has shifted where I could never figure out what I wanted, right? Right. It always had to be perfect. It had to be whatever, right? But then I look at them, and I'm just like, well, if I don't like it, I can always cover it up later. (laughs) That's true. It's not that big of a deal, and it's something where if I go around, like the the last tattoos I got were at tattoo conventions, Mm -hmm. and I was just looking around, and I was like, I love that. Like, right. I want that. Like, yeah. Go ahead and put it on me. And it's that maturity level to where it's a not a not that big of a deal. B, it's something that you just like. like yeah. It's exactly. It doesn't have to. And other people have that yeah. different mentality. I, I think too with with tattoos, especially, is that if you're like again, like no matter what your life experience is, you don't really know who you are until you're kind of late twenties, right? Thirties, right? So it's like. You'll see 18-year-olds who are covered in tattoos, and you're just like, you might not like any of that. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> years down the road. Right. You know? <laughs> it's like, you may be a completely different person by the end, you know? And um, by the end, that's terrible. <laughs> it's, all, it's all over at 30, guys. <laughs> um, but, but I think there is a maturity there. I think one of my um, – well, to answer your first question is that I do enjoy being the backup guy. Okay. It's less stressful because I'm not all eyes are on, are, are on me. You know, right. like when I do CF, it's like now for anybody who hasn't seen CF, just know that it is a very high energy show. So That's one way to put it. Yeah. I have to be in really good shape to do that show. So, well, you wear the tightest of pants. I do. I, I yeah. <laughs> I I was a product of the eighties. <laughs> I just remember seeing you. I remember seeing you, and I was just like, this this guy has the the shoes, the high top shoes, the the tight like stonewash pants or whatever, and then the jean jacket, and I was like, this is amazing. This is perfect. And then your drummer Andy looks just like a, a caveman, just hitting on all the. All the drums, right. and then you're just vibrant out there, <laughs> and then your bass is is just chilling out. Like he's got the same kind of energy that you have a little bit, but it's toned down yeah. a little bit more. And you just see like, yeah, this is mine. Like I don't know <laughs> about you, but this is what I do. Oh it's yeah, like, yeah. It's it's. I, I remember our so my bass player, Matt Everhart, actually plays bass with me and Devin when gotcha. we when okay. we do full band gigs. And I'll never forget uh, Everhart going. It's like man. When we started doing CF shows, I thought you were the flamboyant one. <laughs> and then we started playing with Devin, who wears sequins all the time. <laughs> like, I always joke about it. It's like, it's like, I really hope she listens to this. Because <laughs> I always joke about it. It's like, I assume there will be sparkles, and everybody in the first four rows will be blinded. <laughs> but, um... But, you know, Everhart was just like, man, I thought you were the flamboyant one. Right. And then we met Devin, and I was right. like, yeah, I took a step back when I met <laughs> Devin. <You know? laughs> it was like, but, That's funny. you know, it, it's, but yeah, like, I got more comfortable with that side. It mm-hmm. was like, um, 
I don't know. There's like I think there's a side too a bit about being introverted where you put a bubble around yourself. And as a lead singer, I'm I always say, you know, being the lead singer of a band is one of the loneliest places because they're all behind you. You know what I mean? They're all over here. You're the one staring into the microphone. Right. You know, staring into everybody. And uh, I don't know. I embrace that. I actually, that doesn't bother me so much. Um, I can be that guy. I'm not Bono. Like, I'm not making a speech. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. or like, right. you know what I mean? But I don't mind being that guy. I, I think, too, you know, somebody always once uh, said I was like Robert Smith of the power pop world, you know, from The Cure. Because it was like, because he just, he doesn't do anything. He just... <laughs> He just writes really angry songs. And I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> but, like, I don't, you know, I move around. I jump around a little bit and whatever. I don't as much as I used to. But um, but I don't mind that role so much. But that role is also very stressful, though. Right. And it's a lot of work. Like, I, right. I'm not a, I don't really enjoy singing. Like, singing to me is, like, a lot of work. Like, like, I got to do an hour show, and I have to sing, <laughs> oh, my God, this is going to be nuts. And then, but if I'm just playing guitar, yeah, yeah, I can do that all night, you know. Yeah, you can but shut off a little yeah. bit. And so I'm comfortable, but it's just a lot more work to, in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, being just the backup guy is, like, is awesome. I just get to show up and play and whatever. Um, I think it's fun to do both. But it's funny because, like, this year, Classified Frequency didn't do any shows. We did one show in, like, I think February with mm -hmm. Cowboy Mouth at B.B. King's in, in New York, which apparently is no longer there. I was like, what? Oh, damn. <laughs> that, was, that was my place. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> so, but we didn't really do any shows this year. And, you know, I hate to say, I don't want to sound lazy, but it was because I just didn't have the the motivation to do it and, and it wasn't that I don't want to play in that band or I didn't want to play those songs it's that it is a lot of work yeah and now I've gotten the bug again in the last couple months I've gotten the bug I made a new set for next year we're going to do some shows some headlining shows we're really excited about uh, we brought in a keyboard player so now it's a five piece band fantastic and um, and I'm excited again. That being said, I also know what I'm setting myself up for. So I've been going to the gym every single day <laughs> to get myself ready for this, you know, for this carnival of a show that I like to play. That's the other thing. Like, I grew up watching, like, bands like Queen. Right. You know, like, right. to me, when I get on stage, I want it to be, s I want the audience to get exhausted. Like, I really yeah. do. I want yeah. the audience to just go, how... This is amazing. I'm not that type of guy that just like plays a song, stops, talks, plays a song, stops, talks. Like, right. I just don't like that. I grew up watching Queen and Bon Jovi and bands like that that did that. It was like they would play five songs without stopping and Freddie Mercury's like running around the stage and they're not even like and they they've got another 2 hours to go, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. It's like that's kind of where I come from. I talked about this on a previous episode where um it was Brandon Nicholson where he was talking about how he practices 
those moves. Mm-hmm. And he has to like get in the mentality and the shape and and all of that in there. And I never I never really thought about it. Oh yeah. But it made sense because pop stars do that. They dance and sing at the same time. Like mm-hmm. they have to train their bodies to be able right. to do everything. And you start looking at stuff too like I know a couple people who hate doing this, but you got to watch yourself on video. Right. You know, you have to watch yourself and go, I do not like that. <laughs> That's cool. I'll do that. You know, one of the things I always do is there's like a million pictures of me with my like lips like tight. Mm-hmm. And, and what's funny is, is I do that because I bite my tongue. I chew on my tongue when I'm like, gosh, okay. When I'm like, you know, Doing anything that takes a lot of converse, uh, concentration. Right. I found, ever since I was a kid, I chew on my tongue. And it doesn't look very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that is cute. Right. You know? And so what I started doing was I started doing the thing with my lips because it just kind of closed my lips off so I wouldn't do anything with my tongue. It sounds so stupid, but you, just, so you, yeah. you, you notice things like that and yeah. you're just like, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not going to do it. <laughs> so for you, um, and we'll probably end up wrapping up with, with this idea of, you know, talking about how the, the lack of motivation was, was there, where mm-hmm. you wanted to, to kind of crawl back into yourself, right? And just, you know, yeah, I mean, you get you get complacent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's something that I've dealt with and is one of the ideas of, of this show is to try and a talk about it more, but B also like bring that to the conscious, bring that to mm-hmm. the, the forefront of it. Right. So do you, is it just a bug that kind of strikes you again and be like, I need to go play. I need to go do something. Or is it something that you think about and be like, man, I, I haven't done anything in a while. I need to really like get back out there. Right. Um, it's usually not the second one, mainly because I play so much. Right. You know, um, there is a side though that, you know, classified frequency, we've never had a huge following. We've Mm -hmm. never had much of a following and we've been around for a really long time. And so there's definitely a side where, you know, the last battle of the bands we did that we won, which was two years ago. One of the reasons we did that was we didn't have a lot of gigs coming in. And all the bands that we used to play with had broken up. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So we were like, we don't know anybody anymore, you know. So there was kind of a conscious effort to kind of see what was what see was going what on, you know. Um, so th- there's a little bit of that aspect. Although this area is so, it's so strange. It's just like, you know, a band will get, you'll hear about a band for a good six months, and then you'll never hear about them again. And um, it's very, you know, things are always moving around and, and whatnot. So I don't, I don't get worried about that stuff as much. I kind of, I always tell people, just build your bubble. Don't worry about being famous and celebrity and, and all that stuff. Just do what your makes your heart happy, and build your bubble. Because mm-hmm. over time, people will like the last time we did play. Um, you know, we had more people come out than I'd ever, you know, seen before. So, you know, I think the more people, the more time goes on, the more right. people start coming in and you build that bubble and you promote your records and as much as you can and, and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think 
the I think a lot of it is just you get kind of I think in any create in anything in, in any job mm-hmm. but especially when you're a creative person you get bored you know and you need the next thing yeah. right so you know as much as I love playing with classified frequency I love playing those songs you know I've been playing you know <laughs> I shouldn't say this but I've been playing heart attack since 2009 Fucking hate that song. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. Yeah. But there's that side where you've been playing these songs for so long, you get a little bored with them. You know, right. you're like, okay, you know. Now the good news is, is that I write a lot of music, and so I'm always writing new stuff, and we're always doing new things, and um, so that helps. But even with covers, you know, you play the same stuff over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Um, now, it's a little nicer because of the fact that I have so many projects that I can kind of go back and forth, get my kicks here, and then come back and get my kicks right. here. You know what right. I mean? And also, I'm an improvisational player. So every night's different. You know, we never, I never play the, the song the same way twice. So that's fun, and that um, kind of helps <laughs> keep, keep your mind going. But yeah, sometimes it's just you get bored and you get, um, or nothing's happening and you're mm-hmm. getting a little frustrated about it. Um, or you just, like I said, you know, you just don't want to work that hard right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't feel like, you know, um, yeah, I think there's a side too with CF that, before a CF show, I get really stressed out because I'm, I'm the lead singer. I don't do this very much. I, I want it to be right. I want it to be great. You know, and, and you get, um, I don't feel that way with a lot of other bands. And I think it's because it's my band. It's, right. it's a little bit more, I need this to be, you know, the greatest thing in the world, you know. And when you play a lot, that goes away because when you play all the time, you're never really thinking that way. You're just thinking it's another gig. So, yeah, if this gig doesn't go well, oh well, we'll try it again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but when your band only plays a handful a handful of times a year, you want those gigs to be the greatest, you know, gigs in the world and then right. when things start going south instead of, you know, going, "Uh, oh, something this isn't feeling very good. Let's let's relax a little bit." You start overexerting because you you want it to be so good. You have to be in the right mindset, I think. And um but because of that, it's funny cuz like I'll go through these things where I'll have enough gigs where or enough CF gigs where I'm really confident. And then some time goes by to where the confidence isn't there anymore. Like I'll I'll have a couple gigs where I didn't feel that good or I wasn't happy or I you know whatever, and you tend and you're you know, you tend to remember those ones sadly <laughs> yeah. more than the good ones. You yeah. know what I mean? And then you're kind of like, man, I don't know if I I want to do that. You know, like I'm right. just not in the right mind space. And then it comes back, and then you're like, yeah, let's fucking do this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so you know I don't know if that's everyone but that's that's how i am sometimes it's just you know being like i said i'm not used to being the front man right so it's one of those things where 
you know, if I'm if I'm into it, I'm really into it, and let's do it, and and I'll be I'll be in the best shape you'll ever see, and I'll be running around and and kicking ass. But that might last for a year, mm-hmm. and then I need a break. <laughs> you know, I need to. I need to eat nachos and <laughs> you know, like, not worry so much, you know. <laughs> cool. I, I think that's it, man. All right. That's, that's a it. great way to that's a great way, yeah. <laughs>